Greetings and blessings to one and all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is indeed a blessing to again be in the house of the Lord. And I'm just uh, blessed and I marvel again at how God has put this service together. And um, we want to be faithful in following through with this. Been deeply inspired already as we think about the devotional, our Sunday school lesson and our songs, and how that it has ministered to us, Uh, especially this this last song taken from this uh, section of consecration. And uh, many of these songs would have related well to to uh, the message today. <clears throat> invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 8. I'll be taking my text from verses 27 through verse 38. <clears throat> the Lord has been speaking to me about this subject of giving, and I struggle just a bit with that. I uh, My thoughts and, and uh, studies had been going that direction, but uh, when I, um, before I got too deep into it, I discovered that in Mark eight thirteen, I believe it is, we'll come across that. And uh, so I, uh, I thought, well, what is God wanting me to, to really, you know, dwell on this morning? And, um, and I just have a, I just really have a peace about where, God has brought me to, and I think in the larger scope of things and in God's uh, time frame, which is really none, uh, he, it really doesn't matter do we preach about the subject of giving today or in a number of weeks. When we get to chapter 13, um, we want to be faithful in, in what God gives to us. And so it just seems that God, uh, well, having put this service together. Our main focus and subject today is self-denial, which we'll see in this passage. And um, it's not that I was trying to avoid that. Um, I believe it is a subject that needs to be addressed to all of God's people um, and also to the unsaved. Uh, But it is um, indeed a necessary subject for us to look at. And there's a number of things that uh, Mark records in this um, passage that I believe correlates well together. And so having said all of that, I'm just blessed and humbled to stand in this place and proclaim this word to us today. And uh, so let us read. Let me read from verse uh, 27 of Mark chapter 8. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders 
and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him when his, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Let's just bow our heads. Gracious Lord, we, we come to Thee and we ask, Lord, that You would just minister to our hearts again. Would You just use this time to uh, manifest Yourself to us and, and um, bring forth Your Word to our hearts? Father, may You just impress upon us this great subject. And then, Father, we ask for strength and for grace to go from this place and allow your word to take root in our hearts and to bring forth a hundredfold. O Father, I pray that not one seed would fall on hard ground. Not one seed would fall on stony ground. Not one seed would fall on thorny ground. But that it would fall on fruitful ground and bring forth fruit to life eternal. Bless thy word to our hearts, we pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Now Jesus went out uh, and his disciples, and I'm not going to go back into the previous. I know it's been a while. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll leave that for you to do. But Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi was an especially pagan city known for its worship of Greek gods and its temples devoted to the ancient god Baal. The tetrarch Philip, referred to in Mark chapter 6 and verse 17, changed the city's name from Caesarea to Caesarea Philippi so that it would not be confused with the coastal city of Caesarea talked about in Acts 8 verse 40. The capital of the territory ruled by his brother Herod Antipas, this pagan city where many gods were recognized was a a fitting place for Jesus to ask the disciples to recognize him as the Son of God. Jesus not only ministered to the Jews, he primarily ministered to the Jews. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. But Jesus not only ministered to the Jews, he also ministered to those people in other uh, surrounding parts that were a mixture of 
of Gentiles. And so the gospel was not only closed, was not only given to the Jews, as, as, as the Jews uh, thought themselves privileged to, to have and to be, is that they alone would have God's word. But we see that Jesus also ministered to those nations about. And he says in verse, he mentions that in verse 38, this adulterous and sinful generation. Uh, he says also in um, um, verse uh, 35, for my sake in the gospels, and so uh, we see from those nuggets that Jesus is ministering to the whole world, not just to the Jews about him. And he has these chosen men to carry out the work after he is gone. There's something interesting here that Jesus uh, probably um, used this setting to, to really get the disciples to think about Himself. And, and Jesus is coming to a climax here. Jesus is in his third year of his ministry. He is coming to the close of his ministry on the earth. And he, he's, he's starting to prepare the disciples for what lies ahead. Jesus is so gracious and so kind and merciful to his disciples. And, and we see that coming out. We, we may think differently when we read verse 33. But the truth of it is that Jesus is being gracious to them. And he wants them to know the things that are taking place. And sometimes, beloved, we think we understand the will of God when in truth, in fact, we don't really understand the truth, the, the, the will of God. And so I believe we do well to, to bow our heads in silence and accept the will of God for what it is rather than to, to allow our conventional thinking to, to guide us and to control us. I believe the first question that we must deal with is what Jesus gave to the disciples. And, and let's not just leave the setting to Jesus and his disciples. Well, let's make it permanent for our lives. And let's let, allow Jesus Questions to permeate us. And he simply asked the question, Whom do men say that I am? And I've been pondering and wondering, what, would the, what does the average unbeliever, what does the person out in the world, who does he say that Jesus is? Some of the expressions that we hear are the good man upstairs. We hear, um, we hear words like the Almighty. Um... We hear um, terms, I can't think of a number of them that I was thinking about earlier now, but, but we hear some of those terms used. And um, I, I wonder, I wonder, is there a character? Is there a man in our world today, in the contemporary world, is there a man that that if Jesus walked again the face of the earth, there, there would be uh, men that would say, well, he's, um, let's say he's Billy Sunday. Uh, just a name, okay? Or would he say, would the common people say, 
Well, that's another Paul Yoder. That's kind of strange to think of it that way. But think about it. Think about it. John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus, and the common people thought that John the Baptist rose from the dead. Now, the Sadducees had a little bit of difficulty with that because on one side, they said they do not believe in the resurrection. And yet, the general populace was saying that Jesus was John the Baptist. And so, they, many of the Sadducees themselves thought that this very possibly could be John the Baptist. I, I love how God plays with the un, un, unbeliever's mind. I just love it. Uh, he confuses them oftentimes. <clears throat> well, maybe they didn't believe that he was John the Baptist. Maybe they said, well, he was Elias or Elijah. Remember, Elijah did not see death, but God took him. And um, Elijah and Elisha were together. And uh, Elijah was taken from Elisha into, up into heaven. And so the idea, the thought is that possibly this is Elijah again uh, on, the, on the earth because he did not die. Now Moses' name doesn't come up here, and I'm not sure. Um, uh, I believe we do have record that Moses died and the Lord buried him. But... Um, but to the common Israelites, Moses went with God up to the mountain. And they don't know exactly where Moses died or where he's buried. And so, <clears throat> but he doesn't come up. It does say here, one of the prophets. The disciples are thinking, well, what are, what are people who, what are people saying who Jesus is? And, and I think we do well to think about that. Who are the people saying? Who are our neighbors? Who are the people that we work with? The people around us? Who are they saying that Jesus is? Is he a good friend? Is he a good teacher? Is he the man upstairs? Is he the Almighty? <clears throat> and that's probably not necessarily the real question that Jesus was coming to. But see, Jesus wanted to separate his disciples from the common people. And beloved, this morning, Jesus wants to separate you and I from the common people. And so he permeates the question to us. He, he hands us the question. And he says in verse 29, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that I am? You know, it doesn't really matter so much what other people are saying. It doesn't matter so much that, that I'm portraying John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the other prophets. But who do you say that I am? Jesus wanted this to be confirmed in their hearts and minds because of what he was going to tell them. 
And so, beloved, this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? Can we answer along with Peter, thou art the Christ? Thou art the Christ. I trust that we have, we have established that question in our minds already. We have, we have, we have answered that question prominently in our minds that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, the other gospels would say more, elaborate just a bit more on Peter's uh, answer here. But really, really, this is what it boils down to, is that Jesus is the Christ. If he's the Christ, then he's the Messiah. If he's the Christ, then he's the, the one. He is the lamb. He's the perfect one. He is the, the consummation of mankind's salvation. If he's the Christ, then he's Lord of your life and mine. If he's the Christ, He's the answer to all of our questions. If he's the Christ, then he's the word of God to his people. If he's the Christ. And so I trust that we have settled the answer that Jesus is the Christ. Thou art the Christ. If we have not answered that question, I plead with us that we make him the Christ and Lord. That he is Christ. We, we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that he is the Christ. We must settle it. We must settle that in our minds. We cannot, we cannot be in controversy. Well, it could be John the Baptist. Well, it could be Elijah. Well, it could be one of the prophets. That's what the world says. That's what the unsettled person says. But we must settle in our minds that he is the Christ. And when we have it convinced in our minds and our hearts that he is the Christ, then he is all of the above. And we can move on with life. I realize the disciples had yet many things to learn. And I have a difficulty with verse 30, and he charged them. He charged them... um, uh, what would be a better word for charged? Um, commanded or demanded that they would not tell anyone. They should tell no man of him. Now, not necessarily the fact that Jesus is here. And when they're walking through the crowds and some person may not know who Jesus is, they may ask the disciples which were around Jesus often, and they would say, well, who is that man? Jesus isn't saying that they can't say, well, that's Jesus of Nazareth. He was born of Mary and Joseph. That's his family. And he is, he is a rabbi. We're one of his, we're, I'm one of his disciples. I don't believe Jesus had a problem with that. But what Jesus is saying Tell no man that I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Because, because of two things. One I believe is that there on one side, there were those, and we can read in the Gospels of this account, there were those that wanted to take Jesus by force and make him a king. We want Jesus to be our king. 
While on the other side, there were those that wanted to take Jesus and destroy him. Why? Why? Because Jesus was a man, was, was, was purely a rabbi? No, no, because, because all of history and all of mankind hinged upon Jesus. And Jesus, as the Messiah, was the turning point of the world. And so, there were those on one side, like I said, wanted to destroy him. There were those on the other side that wanted to make him king. But neither of those was in right plan, was in right, uh, was in right timing with what, with what God's plan was. And furthermore, not only to those outside, but to the disciples, there were things that Jesus needed to teach them, yet that, that they had, they really, really, uh, they were just little boys. The disciples were really little boys when it came to the things that were lying ahead of them. And really, that's not a degrading thing because I'm saying to all of us here this morning, they were all just little boys and little girls. We're really just little boys and little girls when it comes to thinking about the spiritual things of God and His will and all that lies ahead of us. The disciples had no idea. They had no idea what was going to transpire in the next couple of weeks and months. Had no idea. And Jesus in His mercy and His graciousness wanted to tell the disciples... He wanted to teach them. He wanted yet to have time. He did not want his disciples to go out there and say, Hey, this is Christ. This is Christ. This is the Messiah. Because there were those that wanted to grab him and make him a king. There were others, those that wanted to grab him and kill him. Because he was a threat to them. And to their following. <clears throat> tell old man. Tell old man, the time will come, the time did come, and the time is here for us to tell the world that Christ has been here, He is gone. It is, it is, the time has come for His disciples to tell the world that He is the Christ, to make that clear and plain and speak openly about that to the world. The time has come. But the time was not then, not then, not right. Not quite right yet then. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. Correct terminology there. I know the Gospel of Mark records it that way. Gospel of Matthew and Luke, I believe, record. And the third day rise again. That's really the proper terminology there. The third day rise again. The first day counting his death. Uh, one, one day of intervention. And the third day rising again. And that really, really is the correct way to, to say it. But be that as it may, we understand. We, it's hard for us to understand because when we, th when we count three days, we're actually four days in advance. Well, the, that's not the way the Jews count their days. <clears throat> and anyways, he said, 
three days he will rise again. He's, he's, he is telling his disciples of the things that he must suffer. And he spake that saying openly. He talked about it to his disciples. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, I know that Peter is drawn out here. And I don't know if you remember or not, but we said earlier on that it's been thought that Mark's gospel is actually Peter's gospel because of the influence of Mark under Peter, uh, under Peter's teaching and so forth. Um, well, be that as it may. Maybe that's why um, something that that Peter is singled out here. But I believe that Peter is simply a representative of the disciples as a group. And indirectly, I believe Jesus answers or, or rebukes Peter. Um, but, but Peter, um, and, and I, I, I can easily understand that all the disciples, along with Peter, take Jesus aside. Now, listen, Jesus, we, we don't like what you're hearing. You have all power. You have power to, to, to um, heal all kinds of diseases, to cast out demons. And, and you're talking about giving yourself up to the scribes and the Pharisees and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and, and, and to be killed. I cannot help but but imagine that it was fresh in the disciples' minds that John the Baptist had been killed just not too long before this. Um, possibly within six months. John the Baptist had been killed. Herod had killed him. We, we just got through that in chapter 6. And... And John, John's disciples come to Jesus at one point and they ask him, Are you the Messiah or do we look for another? And the turmoil that, that was in John's disciples' minds and the disciples of Jesus, we can't face that. Well, what if Jesus is killed? What, what if we go through another of these? I mean... John the Baptist was enough. And, 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 and Jesus is the Christ. Peter just confessed that. And I believe they all understood that Jesus was the Christ. What do we do now if Jesus is killed? Jesus, no, 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 no. No, we can't have this happening. <clears throat> From this point on, Jesus spoke plainly and directly to his disciples about his death and resurrection. He began to prepare them for what was going to happen to him by telling them three times that he would soon die. Chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. In this moment, Peter was not considering God's purposes, but only his natural human desires and feelings. He wanted Christ to be king, but not the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah 53. 
He was ready to receive the glory of following the Messiah, but not the persecution. I wonder if that strikes a chord in our own hearts, beloved. Are we really, are we willing and ready to receive the glory of following the Messiah? Are you a Christian this morning because of the glory of being a Christian and the hope of the eternal life and of being with Jesus someday? Is that all that our Christian life entails? Or are we prepared to suffer and to be baptized with the baptism of suffering as our Lord Jesus had been? Well, I'll tell you, many, many a person wants to follow Jesus because of all the blessings and all the good things and all the benefits. But when it comes to the time of persecution, oh, this is too difficult. This is too hard. We'll give it up. Oh, do you see how the devotional ties in with this? Many, many a person wants to hear wonderful preaching. Oh, and they want to receive the gospel. And oh, yes, they they want to follow this Jesus. But by and by, when life becomes a little bit more difficult, and persecution settles in, and the call of God costs us everything, then we're just ready to throw in the towel. Really, beloved, we're no different than Peter and the, and the disciples. We don't like when Jesus talks about suffering. We don't like the scriptures that talk to us about the baptism of suffering. And that Jesus died and rose again and he was the first fruits of them that slept. And when we talk about in our spiritual lives that we must die to self. We don't like that. We don't like when Jesus brings us to the place to where we have to crucify and mortify the deeds of the flesh and of this body. We don't like that. We say, no, Jesus, you can't talk about that. I thought the Christian life was one of glory, of praise, and of honor. It truly is, beloved, but it's not the only thing entailed in the walk walk with God. In the call of the Christians, not the only thing. And Jesus, Jesus had something to say to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. I'm simply going to leave that. I believe Jesus was seeing past the, the person of Peter. Was saying the words that Peter was saying. And he said here, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Oh, beloved, I say to us, how many times does Jesus have to say to us, thou savorest not the things that be of God, thou, but the things that be of man. Yes, we want to have good and big large temples. We want to have lots of people. We want to have lots of Christians. It is, it is our driving ambition to convert the whole world. After all, that would make Jesus look good in the Christian life. 
But beloved, I ask us the question, how many people have given their lives and died at the stake for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And have, how many people have, have walked and have preached and have preached for years and years and not one soul has been saved under their preaching? How many lives have lived faithful lives years and years and years and not a soul has, re, has, has responded to that faithful life? I ask us the question. There's often times when we think in man's terms. We think in the conventional ways. And God is here to twist our thinking. And it's not the Christian life. It's not the way the conventional man thinks. It's not a life of ease and rose. The Christian life is not a paved road to wealth and ease. It often involves hard work, persecution, deprivation, and deep suffering. Peter saw only part of the picture. Don't repeat his mistake. Instead, focus on the good that God can bring out of apparent evil and the resurrection that follows the crucifixion. Jesus gave them an example in verses 31 through 33 because of what he was saying to them in verse 34. And he gathers the disciples and the people together because he wants to make this a, this a call to all people. And the call is whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Are you determined this morning that you're going to save your life? Beloved, I'm, I can guarantee you on the Word of God that you're going to lose it. But beloved, if we are here this morning, we're willing to lose our lives for His sake and for the Gospels. I can guarantee you on the, on the premises of the Word that you, we, our lives will be saved. That's what He says. That's what He says. Verse 36, and what shall it, profit, shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? All we see in that example that Leon mentioned to us in the devotional, that man sold everything. He sold it all. He, 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 he gave it all to, find, to buy that pearl. He gave his own. He, he gave, and so we would say, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That man gave everything. And if you would gain the whole world, what more would there be? But even if it were possible to be more, to, 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 to have more than the whole world, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? <clears throat> no, beloved. No, beloved. We must count the cost and the cost, while on one side it is a free gift, will cost us everything. It costs us everything. <clears throat> Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And again, beloved, if we can, we can hang on to life. We can try to save it, but we'll lose it. We'll lose it. We should be willing to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel, not because our lives are useless, but because nothing, not even life itself, can compare to what we gain with Christ. Jesus wants us to decide to purpose to follow him rather than to lead a life of sin and self-satisfaction. He wants us to stop trying 
to control our own destiny and to let him direct us. This makes good sense because as the creator, he knows better than we do what real life is about. He asks for submission, not self-hatred. He asks us only to lose our self-centered determination to be in charge. That's where we find it difficult. Many, many a person has taken up a literal cross and has inflicted self-pain and has hated himself to the extent that he has deteriorated himself. All to really to no avail. God is not asking us to inflict self-pain nor to self-hatred. But he is calling us to submission. And beloved, where we find the struggle is the same where Jesus found the struggle in the garden. When it was a conflict of his own will with that of the father's. That's the cross that Jesus calls us to bear. Is that we give up ourselves, our own determination to be in control. I want this thing to be in control. I want to be in control of this thing. I have my life in order. I want it to direct this way. I'm going to do this kind of work. I'm going to do this work for God. And God's not going to tell me to go somewhere else. Because I have determined I'm going to be in control. No, 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 no. No, that may be strong, but I'm saying to us that even in the good things that we determine to do for God, God may be calling us to bear a cross and to give it up and to stop being in control. Take this flesh and crucify it, mortify it. A few other scriptures. The scriptures talk to us about this thing of self um, Uh, of self-denial. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. Follow him. Follow him. Drive after him. Take up his cross and follow him. There must be none of self. We must do like this man, this merchant man. He sells everything that he has and he, and he, and he, and he goes and he buys that pearl. He has that one thing and it's his total focus. There's no money in the waters. There's no adding to the collection. I love that. Love that analogy. There's no adding to it. There's no other prize possessions there to divert attention. All that is gone. And he has one pearl. Is one single focus, that of Jesus. And so we must take up his cross. Take up your personal cross and follow him. I don't know what your personal cross is. You know that. God has given you a personal cross. And he expects you to take personal responsibility and to bear that cross. And oftentimes, beloved, it comes, it deals down to simply giving up of oneself. Our greatest enemy is ourself. I've often said, I know that for experience. My greatest enemy is not someone else, but my own self. Luke 14, verse 26 and 27, If any man come after me, come to me, and hate not his father and mother, wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also. 
He cannot be my disciple, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So we count the cost, beloved. Beloved, we must come alone. We must come alone. Yes, yes, there are many, there are many. As I think back on my own life, I think of many people that have been influential in my life in bringing me to the Lord Jesus. Many, many wonderful people that I think about. But beloved, the, the, the other side of that truth is that we must come alone. We must come alone. We must hate our own life. Yes, in order we cannot be, otherwise we cannot be his disciple. We must uh, come to him. We must bear our cross, come after him and follow him and be his disciple. Romans eight thirteen. if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify Crucify, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. 15.1 We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Not to please ourselves. All the scriptures are full, full of this, of this uh, idea and this, this uh, subject, this teaching of self-denial. Galatians 5.24 They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. With many, many, many scriptures that speak to us about self-denial. We must lay it all down. If we want to, if we want to save our life, we must lose it. But beloved, if we're going to be determined, we're going to save our own lives, we're guaranteed to fall. We'll lose it. We'll lose it, beloved. And so we see that if we answer the question, uh, first of all, if we answer the question, who Jesus is. We make him Christ and Lord. We, we confess him as the Messiah. Then we are prepared. We are prepared, more better prepared, to see the things of God and to savor those things that God wants to tell us and the will that he wants to give and the example in the, in, of the life that he wants us to live. And we will be better prepared Better prepared to come after him and deny oneself and to take up the cross and follow him. Yes, beloved, I'm laying that forth to us as a challenge. Will we deny ourselves? Will we sell everything, sell everything so that we can buy the pearl? Will we sell everything for Jesus so that we can acquire him? Beloved, beloved, this is not just a wonderful story. This is not just some um, insertion in the scriptures. But the real fact is, beloved, that if we're going to miss it, we're going to miss eternal life. We're going we're to spend an eternity in the flames of hell, burning forever and ever and ever. We must... Come to this place. Well, it's not a one-time experience. It's not a one-time experience. Verse 38 says, And whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words, him shall also the Son of Man be ashamed at his coming. Now, beloved, we've just come through the Christmas season. The time when we... Celebrate Jesus coming to the earth as a child. 
Beloved, he's not coming as a child, as a savior. He's coming as a judge to judge all mankind. He's coming as Lord, as King, as Redeemer. He is coming to gather his own unto himself and to cast the ungodly, the wicked, into the lake of fire. It is a serious thing that we consider, that we consider our lives, that we consider, have we confessed Jesus as Christ? And have we given all? Have we denied self? Have we given everything? Have we taken up the cross? And today are we following Jesus? Are we ashamed of him? Beloved, if we're a true follower of Jesus, we will not be ashamed of him. Oh, we cannot afford to be ashamed of him. No, that speaks to me. That speaks of a life after one has denied oneself and taken up the cross and followed him. There may come a time in our Christian walk of life when we are ashamed of Jesus. I say shame on us. Shame on us. Shame on myself. Jesus will be ashamed of us. We must not be ashamed of him, but we must give him all. Yes, beloved. As the happiness of heaven with Christ is enough to make up for the loss of life itself for him, so the gain of all the world in sin will not make up for the ruin of the soul by sin. And there is a day coming when the cause of Christ will appear as glorious as some now think it mean and contemptible. May we think of that season and view every earthly object as we shall do at that great day. Beloved, beloved, today is the day to prepare. Today is the day to to give up oneself, to deny oneself. Today is the day to follow after Jesus. Because, beloved, the time may come The time may come when we do not have that opportunity. And then what shall we say? Oh, beloved, beloved, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. We need to make that choice now. Make that choice today. Follow Jesus today. Deny oneself. Beloved, unless you think that it's too hard, too difficult of a road, unless you think about all the persecution... And you're afraid of that. You're afraid of the suffering that Jesus calls us to. Beloved, I'm here to say it's not the easiest road, but it's the best road. It's the road that will get you to glory. It's the road that will get you where you want to be. Let's kneel together and pray. Our gracious and loving eternal Father, we thank Thee for the graciousness of Your Word. Thank You for Your great love and Your great mercy to us. And Father, that we still have the opportunity to hear Your voice and to respond to Your call. And Father, may we just deny ourselves. May we just give it all up to You. Father, forgive us for wanting to be in control of our lives. Forgive us for wanting to be in control of our future and our present. I pray, Father, that we might just find within ourselves the ability and the commitment to 
Just mortify the deeds of the flesh, the body. Crucify all to sell everything for you. Lord, that you can have the preeminence and the glory in our lives. That we can live for thee. And Father, that there's no more contestant of our wills with yours. That we can walk and step with thee. Pray that you would grant us hope and courage and strength to see the glory that is yet to be revealed. And Father, may we realize that the present sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared. And so we thank you for your love and your graciousness and your strength and your power that you give to your children. Bless us this day. For thy praise and glory, we pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name.